Um, Today, Pastor Dan has made some selections from Psalm 136, and we'll be reading responsively. If you'd please rise. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him who alone does great wonders, who by understanding made the heavens, who spread out the earth above the waters. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt and brought Israel out from among them with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea in two and made Israel pass through the midst of it, but overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the wilderness and gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to Israel his servant. It is he who remembered us in our low estate and rescued us from our foes. He who gives food to all flesh. Give thanks to the God of heaven, for his steadfast love endures forever. You may be seated. Would you pray with me once again this morning? Father, we pray that whatever is on our hearts and minds this morning that would distract us from hearing from you and from your word, that you would help us to quiet those distractions, those voices, those things that are pulling at our hearts. We pray that as we hear from you and your word, you would strengthen our faith, that you would encourage Encourage us in our weakness so that we might live faithfully for you. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. The book of Ecclesiastes tells us that there is a season for everything. A season for making peace, a season for making war, a season for laughing, and a season for grieving. So... There is a season for pumpkin spice. There's a season for pumpkin pies and pumpkin bread and pumpkin spice lattes, and it's October and November. Now bring on the gingerbread and the peppermint and the sugar cookies. And there's a season for Christmas lights and Christmas music. And it started Friday... And it goes through the first week of January. It does not make a magical reappearance in July. That's the season. Even something as good as baseball has its season. It's just a really long season, March to November. I love baseball, but by the time November rolls around, I'm ready for it to be over ready to watch something different. Now, we just came off the Thanksgiving holiday, and the leftovers are gone, 
You might have some green bean casserole hiding back in the the refrigerator somewhere, but pretty much gone. So you might be tempted to think that Thanksgiving season is over. It's not. Uh, There is no end to the season of thankfulness. Uh, There's no date where it's proper to pack up gratitude and put it away till this time next year. Now, Scripture tells us that we are to be thankful at all times, in all seasons, in all situations. In prosperity or in need, give thanks. In health or in sickness, give thanks. When you're on top of the world or under the thumb of oppression or persecution, give thanks. Psalm 136 is a great psalm of thanksgiving. It's a psalm that breaks down easily into three sections, and each section gives a different answer to the question, what should we be thankful for? What should we be thankful for? The first part of the psalm, Psalm Psalm 136 verses 1 to 3, tells us, oh, hopefully this works, there we go, that we should be thankful for God's good character. Thankful for the kind of God that God is. He is good. The word good is, you know, we use it as just kind of a throwaway word, right? How you doing? I'm good. How was the pasta? It's good. But when we use it of God, it is a high praise. It is the summary attribute that includes all of those attributes like his kindness and his gentleness, his mercy, his patience, his grace, as well as those attributes related to his righteousness, his holiness, his justice, all those are incorporated in that word good. God is good. Give thanks. But particularly in focus in this psalm is his steadfast love. We repeated it several times as that scripture was read. But through this psalm, that phrase, his steadfast love endures forever, is repeated 26 times. So to those of you who complain that modern worship songs are too repetitive, (laughs) let me just say, I don't think it bothers God. 26 times, used to highlight, used to emphasize his steady, steadfast, faithful love. God is constant and consistent, and he deserves praise and thanks for that. We've all probably worked for a boss who is only predictable in his unpredictability, who's constantly changing, and you don't know what to do to please that boss. Or a professor, you turn in a paper, and one time he says, too many details, simplify it. The next time you give him a simplified paper, and he says, not enough details, expand. You're like, well, how do I please this? The, you know, it's just totally unpredictable and inconstant. Or a coach. I remember Jake had a baseball coach who would just vacillate wildly. There's one inning, he's playing third base, he charges for a soft hit ground ball, comes up ready to throw, but he realizes the runner's already there, and so he holds the ball and doesn't make the throw, and the coach goes ballistic. Throw the ball! 
You can't get them out if you don't throw the ball. Okay? A couple of innings later, same play. Soft hit ground ball charges at fields. It comes up. Sees the runner's almost already there. But coach said throw it. So he throws it. And coach goes ballistic. He was already there. Why'd you throw it? Just eat that. We've all had those kind of experiences in sports, in school, in work, at home. Don't know what to do to please your parents. That's not God. God is constant and steady in his goodness. Give thanks to God for his steadfast love endures forever. He is so constant that it's become a part of our liturgy. Constant in his goodness. If I say, and kids, pay attention to this, okay? Because I want you to learn this. Parents, grandparents, everyone else, help me out here and teach this to our kids. If I say, God is good, the response is? And if I say, all the time, you say? God is good. And all the time, nailed it. That is in focus here. God's constant goodness. But so is his supremacy. He is constantly good and supremely, sovereignly good. He is God of gods and Lord of lords. So we don't thank the God of the harvest or the God of the rain God is God. He is Lord of lords and King of kings. He is over all. We thank God for his good character. The second section of the psalm breaks down in verses 4 to 9. And we're called to give thanks to God for his good creation. Israel, through their long history, had a a pension for chasing other gods. And so this psalm is a stark call to thank God and God alone. Verse 3, he alone does wonders. He alone does mighty works. He alone created. He is God of heaven and earth and everything that dwells in it. He created. And because he created... His creation testifies to him. Day by day, night by night, they pour forth speech pointing us to and calling us to praise and give thanks to our God and his goodness. His creation manifests the kind of God he is. God is good, so his creation is good. That's one of the things that is repeated through Genesis chapter 1. God saw what he had done, and it was good. It bears his mark. God is steady and reliable, and so his creation bears that mark. Creation is steady and reliable. Day always comes. Night always falls. The winter might feel long, but you know spring is coming because it's steady, it's constant. It bears that mark because God is steady and constant. God governs. He sovereignly oversees all of these things, and he established the sun and the moon to govern, Psalm 136 says. 
Creation so reflects God that humanity has often been tempted to worship creation as though it was God. Job himself acknowledges this temptation. He says, if I observe the glorious sun and the shining moon, I might be tempted to, his words, kiss my hands towards them, offer them worship, but that would be wrong. It's wrong to worship God's creation, but it's proper to look at it and see his fingerprints all over it and take delight in his good creation. But this psalm doesn't call us just to appreciate God's good creation, but to give thanks for it. Let me illustrate the difference. My wife makes an amazing pumpkin cheesecake. She does it at Thanksgiving just that one time a year. If I'm sitting and eating that pumpkin cheesecake, which I'm going to do this afternoon, there's still a little bit left, and I say, this is so good. This is my favorite dessert. It's delicious. That's appreciation. That's delighting in it. That's appreciating its value, its worth. But it's not gratitude. If I say, thank you. Thank you for laboring in the kitchen to produce this pumpkin cheesecake, which is a wonder. And you do it out of love. You don't even eat it yourself. You do it for us. Thank you. That's gratitude. We're called to delight and appreciate the beauty of God's earth and give him thanks for it. So the next time you observe a sunrise, for those of you who are late sleepers, a sunset, (laughs) think to yourself, this is awesome. It's beautiful. This is an expression of God's goodness of his steadfast love for me, for us. Thank you, God. Thank you for this display of your goodness. Thank you for the goodness of your creation. The third thing that we see in this psalm, the third section, is a call to thank God for his good work, his mighty work of salvation. Creation and salvation are both portrayed as mighty works of God, but in verses 10 to 22, the focus shifts from creation to salvation. What God has done to redeem and save his people. And it starts with what God did to bring his people, Israel, out of Egypt in the Exodus and goes all the way up to settling them in the land of their inheritance. It starts with the tenth plague, the death of the firstborn in Egypt. Uh, The plagues, if you look at them, uh, they really can be framed as God of Israel, Yahweh, doing battle with the gods of Egypt. And Yahweh is victorious. He wins that battle with Egypt's gods for his people. But he doesn't stop there. When the people are fleeing Egypt, they come to the Red Sea, and they are stuck. 
And God shows up and does a mighty work of salvation and parts the Red Sea and brings them across on dry dry ground. And Pharaoh pursues. But God does war with Pharaoh and his armies and brings victory. God has brought them safely out of Egypt. But the psalm also includes the time when they're wandering in the desert. You were with us there. Thanks be to God for his steadfast love that endures forever. It includes all that God did for his people while they were wandering in the desert, providing them food, manna, bread from heaven, quail, water from a rock, guidance, protection. And as they came into the other land, the land that God had promised them, there were still battles to be fought, not with mighty Pharaoh and his armies, but with kings that we've never heard of. Kings like Sihon, the king of the Amorites, and Og, the king of Bashan. Not just the big battles, but these little battles. God fought for them and brought them into their inheritance. I love this section of the psalm because it reminds us that God's mighty work of salvation, his good work of salvation, is not just about escape. Not just about escape from Egypt or hell or wrath or sin, but escape and preservation all the way up to the time where he brings us to our glorious inheritance. The end of the psalm, verse 23 and 25, the psalmist does something. He, he makes a shift, and he's no longer talking about the people of Israel or our forefathers. He shifts, and he starts talking about us and our enemies. He, he appropriates the story of what God had done for ancient Israel and says, you did it for us. It's our story. We're a part of it. And what you did for them, you will do for us, our present enemies, our present need. You continue to feed us. What he did for past generations, we're told he'll continue to do for every generation of his people. Israel looks to the Exodus as the prime example of God's salvific work. We look to the cross. The the new and better Exodus, where we've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, saved and redeemed, and God continues to walk with us, preserving us, until the time we come into our perfect, glorious inheritance. God's past acts of salvation guarantee his continued faithful activity. We can look back and say, he's already done this. Of course, he will do everything we need to see it to the end. I love watching restoration shows, car restorations or home restorations. I dream of doing a big, awesome car restoration someday. Uh, Imagine you're doing that. You've got this old classic car and you've got all the rust out and done all the body work and you put a sick paint job on it. Sick means good, just by the way. Paint job on it. 
drop in a big engine and a new transmission. You've got it. And someone says, oh, your, your blinker bulb's out. And you throw in the towel and say, forget it, take it to the junkyard. Or it's a house, and you've done the roof and the plumbing and the electric and the foundation, and you've gutted it, and you've put in new wiring and floors, and it's all done. And then someone says, oh, your porch light's out. And you're like, ah, oh, bulldoze it. Never do that. That would be absurd. God won't do that either. He's already done the big thing. He will be faithful and see his work to its completion in you, in us. So where are you on your walk? Are you a year into your walk with Jesus? Five years in? 65 years in? Where you were at? Be confident. God will see you through. It is his mighty work. Give him thanks for it. Let me shift to a couple different points of application based on this psalm. The first, we ought to ground our worship in gratitude. Psalm 136 is referred to as the great Hallel. Hallel is the Hebrew word for praise. This psalm is the great praise. Hallel is where we get the word hallelujah. Hallel Yah. Yah is the name for God. Praise God. Praise the Lord. The word in this psalm, thanks, really could be translated confess, acknowledge to one another, thankfully acknowledge, confess with gratitude what God has done, not just for you, but for us, his people. It's not just gratitude in your hearts, The psalm calls for gratitude in community. It's not just what God has done for you, but what God has done for his people through the centuries and presently. And the psalm was meant to be a liturgical call and response. It is a corporate thanksgiving. Gratitude is the grounds for our worship, There's also the grounds for our living. It goes really hand in hand with point one, for all of life is supposed to be lived to glorify God, so all of life should be lived thankfully with gratitude. But Romans 12 makes it really clear. Romans 12 says, In view of God's mercies... Offer yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. In view of God's mercies, be grateful for them and live accordingly. In view of all that God has done, in gratitude, offer yourselves as living sacrifices. Colossians 3 picks up on that same theme. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God. That is how we live. The Heidelberg Catechism asks the question, why do we do good? And I love the response. We do good because we're grateful. 
Because Christ, having redeemed us by his blood, is also renewing us by his spirit into his image so that with our whole lives we may show that we are thankful for God and for his benefits. Grace flows into our lives. And hearts of gratitude, thankful hearts, turn that grace into worship and good works. But be aware of a clog that can come in that gratitude flow. Uh, Specifically, don't allow disenchantment to stunt your gratitude. Disenchantment could mean a lot of different things. I'm using it in a fairly, I guess, technical kind of way. People who observe culture, philosophers and theologians have said that we moderns live in a disenchanted world. There's no magic. We live in a disenchanted view of the world. There's no magic, no mystery. Uh, The supernatural doesn't come into play in our view of the world. Uh, Pre-modern men and women lived in a porous world, with a porous worldview where it was expected the supernatural, the invisible, interacted with the things that our eyes observe and see. But now we live in a closed world. We don't expect those things to impose themselves on our reality. Now as Christians, if we're asked, do you believe in unseen things and spiritual forces, and is God still at work in the world? Of course we're going to say Yes. But the disenchanted world is so much a part of that. It it is the air we breathe, the water we swim in, and I know that's mixing a metaphor, but stick with me. It's just become our default too. And it stunts our gratitude. Because if God isn't really involved, then who do we thank? Our lucky stars, our good fortune, chance. Let me encourage you to push against this kind of disenchanted view of the world by following the beams back to their source. The beams of sunlight, follow them back to the source, to the sun, and to the creator of the sun. So when you see a beautiful sunset... Follow the beam all the way back to the great artist who hung the sun in its place, painting it with beauty and color. When the medicine works, great. Thank the doctors and follow the beam to the one who created the doctors and gave them the curiosity and gave them the intellect and laid down the laws of chemistry and biology and physics, who made his world predictable so that they can do experiments and run tests, knowing that the results will hold. And if you're thankful for the food, trace the beam back, not just to the package in the supermarket, but to the farmer. And to the one who put it in the farmer's heart to tend the land and to be a good steward of it. To the one who created them 
Be thankful for the rain and the sunshine that made the crops grow and the one who sends the sun and the rain to the one who ordains their path. And think God's steadfast love, his covenant love did this. From beginning of creation to the climax of redemption, from let there be light to our final inheritance, all is carried forward by God's great, enduring, faithful, never-ending love. Theologians use a word to describe that. The word is providence. God's superintending and governing all things faithfully and constantly. A couple weeks ago, I'm blaming this one on Deontay because I'm using Heidelberg again. But Deontay quoted it in his staff devotional and it reminded me of this section of Heidelberg Catechism, which is actually my son Luke's favorite section. It's about providence. What do we understand about the providence of God, the catechism asks. God's providence is his almighty and ever-present power, whereby as with his hand, he upholds heaven and earth and all creation and so governs them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, Fruitful and barren years, food and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty. Indeed, all things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. Then the next question, what benefit is it to know of God's providence? We can be patient in adversity and thankful in prosperity. Thanksgiving is like the fuse in Christian living. Grace flows in, goes through that gratitude fuse, and comes out in good works and worship. But if the fuse is blown, Christian living sputters, blinks, fades, and goes out. So do you have a thankful disposition in your heart? Uh, The Christian calling is rendered impossible without it. So spend time cultivating that thankful heart. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you. We thank you for your mighty works. We thank you for creation that continues to provide what we need to live, that continues to provide beauty that inspires, that continues to, prov- to provide routine, morning, afternoon, evening, rest, work, all governed by your hand. We thank you especially for the mighty work of salvation that is ours in Jesus Christ, for the gift for the victory that was won over our foes, Satan and death, sin. For the confidence that we have that you still walk with us and will bring that to completion, we give you thanks. Father, we pray that you would enlarge our hearts with gratitude by giving us eyes to see all that you were doing and all that you are. 
We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.